How is your wedding coming along? Great. Great. She's a doctor. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah. Marriage is an important part of getting ahead. Lets people know you're not a homo. Married guy seems more stable. People see the ring, they think at least somebody can stand the son of a bitch. Ladies see the ring, they know immediately you must have some cash and your cock must work. That's <laughs> <laughs> working. <laughs> Overtime. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 61. 61, we made it. 62 is tough saying one. we made it? Because oh. it's, it's amazing. We made it at, uh, 10 minutes. We survived 10 minutes from our recording of episode 61. We could have quit. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think actually, every week we're going to text each other and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I actually did quit. This is my last episode. Next week I'm going to be replaced by, um, I don't know, who's, who's not doing anything right now. Peter, Billy Dinkl- Crystal? Peter Dinklage. He's not doing Billy anything. Chris- Peter Dinklage is doing stuff. He's doing press for Game of Thrones. Not when this episode drops. Life. When this episode drops, that show's long done. Oh my god. By six days. I can't wait for this to be over so I can stop hearing about it and reading about it and having it just in my life, even though I don't. I've asked for it not to be in my life. Well, it's there. On purpose. As, as a person who's on a lot of trivia teams, I have to know about Game of Thrones. Why? Sometimes a trivia question it actually has not yet been a trivia question, so it will be. Maybe they're just waiting for it to end because they don't want to be accused of like spoiling anything. To be fair, at Playwright Trivia, Playwright is a local bar uh, where I go do trivia. It's hosted has the best trivia, digital yep, tracks, best one. Anthony, um, Anthony Apuzo, he number one. He, however, had one mistake, I believe, recently, where he was doing current TV show themes, and one of the TV show themes he did was Gotham, even though Gotham had ended. Uh, the Friday or so before. Oh, so it wasn't current? Yeah. He's like, he's like, these are TV shows that are currently on the air. Gotham was off the air. So that's, that you know, that's like a gray area. Yeah. But it's not as bad as at another trivia. I won't name names. Uh, the question was this. Uh, it was The category was criminal sports figures. And the question was this Super Bowl winning uh, tight end was convicted of murder and blah, 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 year. Uh, speaking of Aaron Hernandez. Tony Gonzalez. Or, no, Aaron yeah. Hernandez. The problem with that is Aaron Hernandez won zero Super Bowls. He, he was, was never, on Super Bowl teams, though. He was not. He was on teams that made it to the Super Bowl. He was not on a team that won the Super Bowl. No, no, but he was on teams that made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but it was Super Bowl winning. Winning, you said, yeah. yeah. That is... Did uh, Rob Gronkowski do something that we're not aware of? I'm sure he did. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Gronk. Did, no, did did they did the Patriots even make the Super Bowl that year? Which year? 2010 through 12? I didn't think they did. Uh, they must have made it one of those years. Uh, they, they did make it. They lost to the Giants in 2011. Well, the 2011 season, yeah. 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 All right, let's drink beer. Uh, the beer this week is, is a good theme again. <laughs> Tied to uh, one of our movies um, in... The most uh, circuitous of ways. It is beard brewing. Have we had a beard br- beer 
yet. I don't know. I, I don't, don't think, think we so. have. No. Um, talking last week about Voracious Brewing, uh, Beard was one of the other breweries that was kind of one of the forerunners of the craft beer scene with Nebco um, and Voracious. You know, early on there wasn't a lot of um, major craft beer breweries doing really deep, intense, newish beers, and mm-hmm. Beard is one of the one of the forerunners. Still oh. a really solid brewery. They haven't really changed much, so they kind of kind of like fallen into the middle Where of the pack for me. Stonington? Uh, they're from Stonington, uh, far east part of the state. This is, I believe now they, they actually brew a lot of their stuff now out of East Haven. Uh, this one I don't think is, but some of their other beers are now brewed out of um, the, uh, the the 10%, I believe it is, the... The Birks project in East Haven. Oh. Uh, this is their Frank and Barry, named after the that good old cereal of lore. Um, Frank not and Barry. Of lore, but does this exist know, anymore? Count Chocula. Yeah, they, they have during Halloween. Booberry. Yeah, Booberry, Frankenberry, and Count Chocula. Uh, this is a double IPA with Mosaic hops, registering at a very low. Low, low ABV of 9.1. Yeah. We're going to have a pint of this, so we're going to be having fun during this episode. It's going to be um, a fun episode. Ah. Yeah, more fun than last week's episode. Not, not a lot of skirting around topics, so <laughs> being careful. That spirited away conversation was intense. It was, it was deep. Dink it. I don't taste a lot of Frank, but I do taste berry. Hmm. I think oh, yeah, it is a little berry. It's very berry to me. Hmm. Um... Blackberry, heavy. It's blackberry and plummy for me. Um, it's a good beer. It's one of my preferred beards um, in the sense that it isn't so much of a New England IPA. It's doing something different. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't love it, um, but I think it's it's not a bad beer. It's, it's just not it's, something that those those overtones are not um, what you want from an IPA. Well, that's not exactly what I want. Per se, it's just they're not hitting me in a kind of in a in a way that it makes me happy. By the way, I'm looking at the 2012 NFL season right now, and it says on the Wikipedia page for the Gaelic football season in Ireland to the 2012 National Football League. Yeah, you should click on, click on that. Well, who won that year? Well, Cork won. It was uh-huh. their eighth win. Ah, the captain was Grab Canty. Um, there's 33 teams in the National Football League of Ireland. Mayo was the runner-ups. Uh, Mayo is. Um, out of Ireland, They're, they play. They play in the County Mail, which is in the northwestern portion of the country. Let's, so we had we had a North versus South fight in the National Football League of Ireland in 2012. We will be uh, right back with our number 61s. <laughs> For me, in in the way I've seen film has been a dual layered story of retrospective and prospective film viewing. Ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted to look at film critically and uh, with an excitement that was measured by giving out awards. I'm, I've mm. always been a very proactive member of creating best of the year awards since 1997 was the first year I ever did it Mm -hmm. Um, for the films in 1997. So it was early in 1998. Um, However, my early opinions probably weren't the most solid. Uh, My, my (laughs) best picture winner of 1997 was, was scream two. 
You don't feel good about that one anymore? Uh, I mean, I still like Scream 2 quite a bit. Maybe not the best picture of 1997. <laughs> Definitely better than the best picture of that one. Go fuck yourself, Cameron. Oh, Titanic? Yeah, Titanic yeah. garbage. Out, I keep forgetting of... that's 1997. Yeah. I keep forgetting that's a movie because I'm trying to burn it out of my brain. All but like two minutes of it. Is it the Billy Zane parts? Yeah. The Billy Zane parts. The Billy Zane and Kathy Bates interactions. I don't even know if they interact, but I just pretend they do. Yeah. I'd like to see a I think Billy they do Zane. interact a little bit. I'd like to see a Billy Zane and Kathy Bates like road trip movie. Mm. Billy Zane should be part of the new American horror story. But I don't know I don't know. Not what, even what as it is. a horror story, just, just him Billy Zane. And Kathy Bates in a car the new traveling th- across country, getting a bunch of zany adventures. Yeah, the new theme for American horror story should just be Billy Zane's life. And Kathy Bates should just walk in and out of it. And Sarah Paulson. No, but road trip. I just want a road sure, trip. Sure, okay, road trip. They'll road trip to Sarah Paulson's house. Oh, good. I like that. Yeah. You're in a bunch of zany misadventures. <laughs> um, but so for the longest time, I was a retrospective viewer. In the sense that I'd always watch the Oscars, not really know a lot of the films sure, that were yeah, nominated. Yeah. Um, like, I hadn't really even heard of Lost in Translation by the time it got nominated. Which is good, because the movie sucks. It does. Um... I was one of the trivia questions yesterday. Answers yesterday. Uh, Name movie that sucks. No, it was just pictures of Bill Murray movies. <laughs> the only movie I didn't. This know Bill was, Murray movie sucks. The only movie I didn't know was Quick Change, which we'll have to do a bonus episode on because that sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. Um, but around 2004 and 2005, especially, I became more of a prospective film viewer. I moved up to Reno, uh, which had a little. Not really an art cinema, a major cinema that played um, lesser-known releases. And I started getting of the opinion of seeing as much as I could and everything I could before the Oscars were announced or before, you know, much of the precursors were out and formulating my opinion Mm -hmm. so that I could be strongly opinionated by the time Oscar night came around. Uh, I was a really huge proponent in 2005 of History of Violence, Mm -hmm. a movie we've talked about and we'll talk about. Um... And 2006, for me, was the year where I, I, I truly made that, that step into the, um, the prospective film mm-hmm. viewer, the viewer who, who, would see, who would seek out the films that were going to be talked about from their early moments in the festival runs or from mm-hmm. wherever they were, or just you know, hearing about a director doing a film. Um, and early on in that year, two films, which we'll talk about way in the future, um, Pan's Labyrinth and the Fountain, uh, just to ruin the sp- surprise, m- made a huge impact on me yeah. in, in the year 2006. Um, I also... Yeah, we're, we're both going to be... I mean, we haven't talked about either of those movies. Yeah. We're, we're going to be a while. Yeah. But we'll, 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 get, we'll be talking about those movies four times. We'll get there. And in October... As a matter of fact, it was October 7th. I saw my number 61. It was already the the film that was gaining most of the traction in the conversation um, of the Oscars. Uh, I had Earlier on in the year, I had been one of the ones who had laughed with uh, John Stewart's comment of 3-6 Mafia, one Oscar, Martin Scorsese, zero Oscars. Oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. apparently pissed off a lot of people, but I don't get, because it's just silly. Who? People, people in the, like the film circles got angry about oh. that comment. It was like even Martin Scorsese found it funny. Hustle and Flow is not like the worst movie ever. 
And it's hard out here for a pimp is a good, pretty yeah. good track. And considering what else wins for best song at the Oscars, like, yeah. this is a good song. Um, and so I saw this movie. Um, and actually, no, yeah, I saw this movie and, and, uh, this number 61 and I just I instantly just did not like it hmm. I came out of it and said nope because I, I had this tunnel vision and this image that this was not the movie that should be lauded that this this was trite and, and really on rails almost for me um, and everyone around me kind of called me an idiot for, for thinking <laughs> that uh, and said you're just doing this because of your adoration of the fountain and and Pan's Labyrinth. Well, those movies are both better than this movie. Oh uh, yeah. They so are. you weren't they wrong. Are. They are. Yeah. Um, but coming back to this film in the years, I, I keep finding myself coming back and coming back, and uh-huh. it, it stands up as a movie that should have been standing with those movies. Maybe not standing, you know, underneath the feet of those films. They don't. This movie doesn't move cinema. But for me, it is definitely the direct, this particular director's best film. I've, I've never been a fan of him. I think he's a really incredibly solid director. I've just never loved his movies. Um, but, you know, just watching it over and over and over again, I, I've come to just appreciate, you know, what, what it's doing. And I, I have fun with it now. Um, I am, of course, talking about the uh, the fantastic cult director George uh, Miller's 2006 computer animated film Happy Feet. Happy Feet is the tale of Elijah Wood as a young penguin. Who <laughs> it was likes about Elijah Wood to dance. <laughs> um, Robin Williams. He's not like a Pokemon. Also stars in this film. Robin Williams. I, I don't think likes to dance. Um, too much. They're in Antarctica. He's not a dancer. Antarctica sure. is uh, a continent which doesn't actually have any permanent residents. Well, um, but, but, but you know, I watch Happy Feet often, and uh, I just find myself having a good time. And you know, compared to Pan's Labyrinth and The Fountain, maybe Happy Feet might just be a better movie. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part in Happy Feet was when um, Ray Winstone comes in and shoots all the penguins. Yeah, with an it, Uzi. Yeah, I thought that part where um, Robin Williams makes the joke about the one penguin after dying, saying it fell funny, was was particularly profound, and it may be a very transgressive moment in Miller's direction, which we then uh-huh. see later in in you know Fury Road being a really good culmination of of the modern action film with that kind yeah. of grindhouse movie. Um, why why do I have Departed up on my screen? Because that's my number 61. I really committed to the joke this week of playing the wrong movie. Uh, no, my number 61 is... I've never seen Happy Feet, by the way. Um, I think do, I've do seen I need parts to see of it. it. No, I don't think it's so. It's about a dancing penguin, though, right? Elijah Wood likes to dance? Uh, again, a penguin? it's not like Elijah Wood's <laughs> spirit is residing inside of a penguin. <laughs> I mean, that would be a way better movie. I mean, I've seen, uh, that, that, I've seen cl- that Clifford or Willard show. If it's like The Thing, but like... Penguins instead of, but like so the thing is actually Elijah Wood. 
Um, no. Like he's assimilating penguins? No. And the, pretending to be penguins? The thing the is end? assimilating up into Elijah Wood and looking like a penguin. Oh, that, that's a pretty, that's pretty good movie. I like that movie. Uh, no, my number 61 is the 2002 remake, uh, remake, a uh, pretty hard remake until the ending of uh, Infernal Affairs, The Departed. You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. When I had my associates search you. That was quick. Think he's dead already? Get your hands off me! I think we could work something out. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. There are parts of my job I can't talk to you about. Man, you are trouble. You don't know the half of it. You better get organized, quick. Hey, last time I checked, I tipped you off, and you're not in jail. Getting the feeling we got a cop in my crew. Sooner or later, he's gonna find out who I am, and he's gonna kill me. I can get the rap. You just gotta let me do it my way. If you don't, it won't be me who pays for it. The Departed is a um, quasi-retelling of, of the Whitey Bulger story. Not retelling, but it uses the Whitey Bulger framework uh, to tell the story of Infernal Affairs uh, about um, two concurrent uh, rising police officers in um, the Massachusetts State Police, uh, Colin Sullivan, played by Matt Damon, and Billy Costigan, played uh, by somebody who I believe has only starred in one Martin Scorsese film, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I believe this he's is only, his, only his, his only film, right? He might have had a small yeah, part in Shutter Island. He's definitely not on our list at all. No. Um, I don't think he's been in any of their Scorsese movies. John C. Riley. Oh, yeah. John C. <laughs> John C. Riley. Imagine if John C. Riley had been the guy who starred in every Scorsese movie and not DiCaprio. Like, this possibly. was John C. Riley, and Aviator was John C. Riley. And Wolf of Wall Street. Actually, Wolf of Wall Street is would, much really better. Work. Imagine John C. Riley and Jonah Hill just going at it. They're like, I don't know. Like John C. Riley <laughs> crawling up towards Margot Robbie. Come on. Or just like the the like the lunch sequence. Like John C. Riley, like, why are you doing coke during the day? <laughs> just like just like him, like moving his head around. Like. John C. Riley on cocaine is always a good experience. I think real John C. Riley does some cocaine in one of the movies. Real, there's, there's some movies John C. Riley does cocaine in. Yeah, uh, yeah, there has to he has to have done coke. In oh no, he's movies. definitely done coke in a movie. It's just not on our list. You don't want none of this shit, do we? Do we Cox? <laughs> um, yeah, do we Cox in the eyes? But it should be. Maybe it should have been. It's I not, think it was actually it was it was, it's it was not in the funny, long, so it probably shouldn't have been. I, I love Dewey Cox. Um, Billy Costigan, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, who was in all of Scorsese's films, um, gets recruited by uh, Captain Queenan and Staff Sergeant Diggum in one of piece of shit Mark Wahlberg's only good performances ever um, to go undercover good. in uh, Frank Costello, uh, Jack Nicholson, in one of his also a few good roles. Um, Telling all the hard shots here. It's not big. Nah, Jack Nicholson's a good actor. I just don't really like him uh, as an actor. Uh, go undercover as has one of his gangsters to bring him down from the inside to bring down the entire criminal enterprise. Meanwhile, Colin Sullivan has uh, been raised from a young age to infiltrate 
the uh, Massachusetts State Police to ins- by Frank Costello to ensure that they are um, not taken down and these two lives intermingle and twist and turn um, into a really incredibly solid, interesting uh, crime story, um, mob story, the, the best mob story that Martin Scorsese's ever done. We've talked already about a movie I really don't like. I'm rolling my whole head instead of just my eyes. Um, and I think, actually going back to it, a big reason I like this movie a lot is it lacks the tremendous amount of narration that all of other Scorsese's movies has. I mean, I would say the benefit... And it also has, like, it's the one time where he got, like, all good actors and not, well, and like or like the one bad actor he had, Mark Wahlberg. Um, he actually like made him do something. Like he actually made a role for Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, but the ba- and didn't have like Ray Liotta fucking vomiting on screen or okay. didn't pretend Don Rickles could actually do something good. Don Rickles can do things good, but I think the benefit of this movie is that he didn't, Joe Bob Briggs having a real role. The benefit of this movie is that despite the fact that Martin Scorsese says he loved Infernal Affairs, this movie is the least serious movie Martin Scorsese had made yeah, had made no. in a long time. No, this movie is is one hundred percent fun. Like Infernal Affairs is not a fun movie. No. No, it is not. Infernal Affairs is absolutely what this movie pretends to be. But Departed is fun. Departed's a comedy well, at its, at its I mean, core. Well, we, I, want, I want to talk about this later. I mean, it. I don't think he deter. I don't think he went into this movie deciding he was going to make um, a fun movie. I would. But I then would, Jack I would Nicholson this, showed up. And I would call this an like, action. There's Jack Nicholson showed up, burning shit, hitting people with shoes, and just. Smelling his hand and just he was just like there's literally nothing I can do with this. I have to make this. A, <laughs> I have to turn this into a funny movie. This is an action comedy. I would yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Right? It's a it's a mob comedy almost. It's not. That's the thing. And I, I I want you to continue as much as you know with however long you want to go for. I mean, the thing that makes this movie serious and the thing I, the problems I have with this movie is the fact that Matt Damon and um, no we're... Leonardo DiCaprio are going fucking crazy with the quality of their acting and all around them people are just going as Manly. hard as they can like into like oh I'm in a Scorsese movie this is awesome I'm going to act the shit out of these these roles and it's just kind of like okay yeah. this is uneven this is becoming uneven um no the, okay so let me just talk about the reason this is a pivotal film for mm. me this is a moment of of humility for me um where I tried to be <laughs> The the very pretentious film goer who is like, well, this is what you know is being the the anointed prodigal, not prodigal, but the anointed the anointed son mm-hmm. of film this year. It, this movie can go fuck itself, you know. And I I held firm to that, but I watched this over and over again. And Ford's flaws, which it has, um, which you know, a similar film, I'd, I'd say The Fountain has a lot of flaws. Too. It has no flaws. Uh I'd argue the other one has no flaws. I would say Pan's Labyrinth has no flaws. Oh, what are the fountain's flaws? Oh, it's too short. It it doesn't have have a big enough budget. Could be way longer. It doesn't have a big enough budget. But the the, the lack of budget works in its favor because he has to create something out of literally nothing. It didn't have more Clint Mansell score. Oh, that's a great score. (gasps) Uh, I'm going to watch the... I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna drink another and one of these beers and go of, and watch the fountain. Some of the um, some of the modern 
day, uh, the shot composition's a little boring at times in the modern day sequence. It's a little muted. It's a little muted compared comparatively. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll talk about. We could. We should not have this conversation already. But wouldn't you rather have this conversation than the conversation? We're no, gonna but have? but um, you know, for all but smalls. After I watched this movie again begrudgingly yeah. because everyone I knew loved it, and I was like, I kind of had fun with it. And then I found myself wanting to watch it by myself and watch it again. And eventually, it just it's infectious in its kind of mm-hmm. goofiness. I agree it's with a you. Really goofy movie. It's light. We talked last week about you know my disdain. Not my disdain, but my, my dislike of, of realistic violence. And this is mm-hmm. a, at times, slapstick comedy with its violence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chief Queen and uh, ex- exploding as a balloon yeah. <laughs> as he falls on the ground is, is almost comical. It's, it's not supposed to be comical. Maybe but... that's how people fall off roofs in, in Boston. You don't know that. I mean, to be fair, a movie that shows up way later on my list has a person being eviscerated into pieces when they fall off a roof. And know. still surviving to warn, uh, to warn Ray that that you know, uh, an angry Nazi is after him. It's in Bruges, He's doing a lot of connections. The angry mm-hmm. Nazi being Ray Fiennes. There you go. Um, yeah, you're referencing he a does, lot of things. There. He does explode in Bruges. He's not made it as. He's not made of as tough stuff as Martin Sheen is. Yeah, well, Martin Sheen pops. Like we don't see the body, it's like pop. Well, you guys, you see do the see the body. Yeah, it doesn't really pop like a. No, but lots of blood shoots out. Yeah, um, but no, this is a this is a solid movie. It deserved like the the accolades, the recognition. It yeah, I didn't got. mind it. Um, and so it was a moment where I was like, hey, you know, it, it, it's 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 appropriate to look at film to appreciate film. Maybe don't be so much of a dick about it from the word go. Yeah, um, but now we can talk about the actual film. That's an interesting. It, I, I, I think I, I, I blah, 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 blah. this is a movie that was almost on my list because of pretty much the exact same reason that is on your list in the sense that it's just it's a Scorsese movie. Who and I love Scorsese. We have a, a few Scorsese movies on my you list. Do, you do. You um, have, you have uh, three. I, I believe. I believe. Uh, I have three. Um, I believe ninety two was one of your Martin Scorsese films mm-hmm. we talked about. Yeah, that's a way better movie than this. Um, <laughs> but this movie's I mean No, that's a conversation I want. That's a cover that's let's start this conversation with how how is Goodfellas better than this movie? Okay. So Goodfellas is better than this movie from a tone perspective. It's got a more a completely consistent tone where this movie has no fucking idea what it wants to be. It is, like you said, an action movie. It's a comedy. It's a gangster movie. It's a horribly convoluted, like, police procedural. And the more this movie goes on, the more convoluted it gets, to the point where he needs Alec Baldwin to save, to distract people from the convolution by saying really awesome stuff. Um, and then Matt Damon, like, answering him with really awesome stuff, like, it's working overtime. And then Alec Baldwin just being like, it's great. My counterpoint. To Tone? Ray Liotta is front and center for that entire film. It meant to carry a lot of the... But Ray Liotta is good in that movie. He is not good. He is good. But you're talking about Ray Liotta as... The, uh, from a career arc perspective. No, I'm not. I'm talking about Ray Liotta in that movie. How Ray Liotta cannot good? carry that movie. That entire movie is reliant upon him being some sort of... Not a moral act. Oh, he's, he's, he's not moral No, no, he's, he's representative to be, to be an entry point that gets 
corrupted. Oh, see, I think you're. I think you're focus. I don't know if we have refracting light around the black hole. See, but I think you're. I don't think that's true. I think. I think, and I don't know if we had this conversation when we had it back. Whenever no, because I that. shit all over him in that conversation. No, no, he probably did, but I'm saying I'm, I don't think he is meant to be that like you know you know reflecting point. I think Ray Liotta is 100% meant to be a cipher. He is he is our entry point, but he's not the moral anything. He's just the way that we get to see Jimmy work. No, I He's just that. the way that we get to see Polly. You know, you know, slice and garlic, real thin in prison. Like he is just our our vehicle into those things. But and everyone things, else has so much dimensionality, and Ray which is, is fine. So but I don't think Ray Liotta. I don't think Ray Liotta is supposed to be flat. I mean, I don't think Ray Liotta is supposed to have a lot of dimensionality. I think one of the things about Ray Liotta in that movie is that Ray Liotta is supposed to be operating on a lot of assumptions about how this life works, and his assumption is. It's funny, and I don't want to turn this into Goodfellas conversation, but it's funny to look at the the decline of Henry's character versus the decline of Jimmy's character. And it says that Jimmy we perceive as kind of going crazy. Um, you know, he's just killing everybody. When in the very beginning of the movie, Henry is just kind of dismantling, like, not dismantling them, literally dismantling them, but just kind of like walking over across the street from where Karen lives and pistol whipping a guy in broad daylight. You know what I mean? When Polly and Jimmy, you get the impression, would never do that because they wouldn't want to draw that kind of attention to themselves. He's really kind of aping these people that he's grown up with. And it's an interesting it's an interesting juxtaposition to The Departed because both of these guys are, in a sense... That same Henry Hill character, you know what I mean? They're supposed Both to be Sullivan and Sullivan Costigan. They're supposed to be aping a world they don't understand and that they're not supposed to be a part of, but they both are kind of a part of it. You know what I mean? Mm. That's and that where I think this. I think from a backstory perspective, this movie is better because Costigan gets a whole family history that says you're supposed to be here, and Sullivan gets no family history that says. You're all, you're supposed to be in the Henry Hill position. You know what I mean? You're not supposed to be a cop. You're supposed to be running drugs for me. You're supposed to be making hits for me. You're supposed to be doing all this stuff for me. You're not supposed to be in a power a place of authority. And the thing that I find really appealing about this movie is those Golden Dome scenes where Matt Damon literally just can't process the fact that he can see the state house. And what does the state house represent? The state house represents um, a life on the right side of everything. He's been living his life on the wrong side of everything because he really didn't have any choice. You know what I mean? He was poor. He was getting milk. He was getting bread. He was getting peanut butter. He was getting a pan full of quarters, which was apparently supposed to be a really meaningful handful of quarters and pennies. Um, and a comic book? And a, and a Wolverine comic book I'm pretty sure was older or was from a different era than <laughs> when that was supposed Mark to be Corsese's really taking old place. Um, or maybe it was the 80s. Maybe that's what the Wolverine looked like in the 80s. Um, but... That stuff is real. Is that backstory stuff is way more interesting than any of the backstory stuff in Goodfellas. And Goodfellas were just meant to accept that this is how life is, and you are either a part of it or you're not a part of it. And this thing, there's so many more options. In The Departed, there's so many more options for people. You know what I mean? Boston is not like Hell's Kitchen in the sense that technically you could be anything you wanted to be, but if you got caught in the web of this shit, you were fucked. And that's kind of how. The thing I love about this movie is that Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon play that idea literally perfectly. 
like we are trapped and we're fucked. And there's nothing we can do. And it just kind of eats away at them the whole movie and I love it. But the thing that I think this movie, that my biggest problem with this movie is Jack Nicholson. I mean, Jack Nicholson tries no. to single-handedly ruin this movie. No, I agree. He's, he's doing, there, there's a lot of stuff he's doing in this film that reminds me of late error. Not, not Anthony. Why am I thinking of that name? Oh my God. Marlon Brando. He's doing a lot oh, yeah, of late yeah, yeah. era Marlon Brando. I was thinking of what the hell? What's that Greek famous Greek actor? And I can't remember his name right now. Anthony Quinn. Thinking of Anthony Quinn was in my face. Mm-hmm. But Anthony Quinn was always doing solid work until his death. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Anthony Quinn. I'm sorry that that your name popped up when I was talking about overrated shit actors who furthered their shit acting later on in life. <laughs> Never been a Brando fan, uh, but no, remind like, and that's why like you know Nicholson retired, but six years after this, he's mm-hmm. kind of given up at this point, and he's just like having weird fun with it. I guess it's weird fun, but it becomes cartoony. Yeah, like the scene that that I never get is the um, the dildo scene in the porn theater. Yeah, like that's that's like beyond the pale of of this film. Well, I never I, I never like the scene when he's with. His girlfriend and the other woman, and he's just like throwing coke at like a futon. Yeah, and then there's just like that wash that, of his uh, face, well, and you're thing, just kind of like, "What is this?" There's like an escalation with his character because early on, like some of the things he does is it works. Like when he kills the couple and says she fell funny, mm-hmm. like that's an eccentric characteristic of of a good kind of sociopath, of like a good like a sociopath doing good work. Sure. Or, you know, his earlier actions with uh, Costigan. And it's confrontational kind of like businessman who's still a sociopath and having fun with like what he's doing sort of ways. Um, but yeah, no, he goes like way beyond that. And you watch this movie and you kind of wish Jack Nicholson was never in that role. And they just let Ray Winstone, Winstone just be, do it. Because yeah. Ray Winstone's fucking oh, awesome. So good. I mean, Ray Winstone was he's having... scary. He was having hell. a renaissance during this period. I mean, scary he went, as hell in this movie, too. I mean, he went from Proposition to Sexy Beast. I mean, they're not consecutive movies. No. But, like, Proposition, Sexy Beast, and this are, like, big-time fucking roles. And no. that he just eats the scenes that he's in. And he's only, like, 49 in this movie, too. When he did this... In- no. Um, yeah. But I agree. I mean, but that's the thing. So, but to that end, I think, I think William Monaghan gets a lot of credit for the script. But I think the script is weird in the sense that... Remember that scene when Frank is talking to Colin and he's like just... He's by that, the harbor there. And then he runs into Dignan and... and um, McQueenan. Uh, McQueenan. And... They're just having that conversation. They go, oh, we're going to get you, Frank. It's like, why are you here? Yeah. Why is Frank having this conversation like this, for one? But, like, why are you here just saying, like, we're going to get you? Because they clearly aren't going to get him. And all the things that their pro- their presence is meant to insinuate, he literally just said on the phone. Like, I think there's a mole in my whatever. And it's like, well, yeah. And they're just standing there. Like, obviously there's, like, a mole somewhere. Well, the thing I find, the thing I yeah, and, and and to that point, the thing I find most interesting about this movie is the fact that it's moved, not by its story, because I think 
ultimately Infernal Affairs does a better job of carrying the gravity of the story. Of the yeah, story. Yeah. Like the trilogy itself goes off the rails. I've later. only seen the one. Um, I've seen all. I've seen the three mm-hmm. later. The, the second one's okay. The third one's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's just these interactions of these characters that works the best. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's just, it isn't. It's, it's like Naked Gun. It's like, and, uh, yeah, and, and some it's like Tommy it is, Boy yeah. was for you in the fact that the thing people know about this movie is the quotes. The thing people know about this movie is the interactions or the moments. It's not so much the gravity of it or the or the the plot construction or I mean it, or it even looks the, cool it looks cool at points the the soundtrack is really solid there's a good choice of soundtrack for, like, yeah I mean he didn't need to use Gimme Shelter again no but yeah. you know the I think the other stuff is the Van Morrison right. Comfortably Numb is actually really awesome like using you know shipping up to Boston however on the nose that is you know at that point in time in 2006 it wasn't so on the nose no that was cool um you know, it's it's fun, and it was. That's the thing. It was it was nice to see. Like I I appreciate this movie more than most other Scorsese films for me. I mean, I I'm like I said, I'm not a Scorsese guy. Um, Taxi Driver doesn't speak to me. I don't like really like Mean Streets. Goodfellas is not something I really liked. I I think from him, the only thing I had liked at this point had been Casino and Gangs of New York. Um, and, and I doubt. I mean, Casino was a Scorsese movie, but Gangs of New York was probably influenced a lot by like what else was happening. Yeah, um, the Day Lewis factor, I'm assuming, was very high in your in your appreciation of Gangs of New York. Day Lewis, Brendan, and Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, Brendan Gleeson was good in that. Yeah. Was great in that. Uh, and good old John C. Reilly. <laughs> and and Cameron Diaz is just doing top, sure. top notch. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, I don't think she's has awful. She's has, awful. I don't think she's. I she's actually bad, don't think she's as bad as DiCaprio bad. in that movie. I think DiCaprio is worse than yeah, she is. No, I agree. But I don't think she is as god-awful as she's become a joke of being. Mm-hmm. Like, she's bad in that, but she's no worse than, like... So She's not worse than Sofia Coppola in Godfather Part Three. Well, yeah, but that's, like, fish in a barrel at this point. Yeah, but I know, but, like, people compare the two. You know, that's, like, that's rude. I mean, she's better than fucking... Um... My God, I'm doing. I'm having a bad name with actors' names today. He won the Oscar for Theory of Everything. Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending. Okay, well, that's that's a phenomenally terrible performance. <laughs> okay. She's bad in that, but she's not like she's not so distracting. But um, or you could. I mean, a role that I think compares well is Renee Zellweger in Cold Mountain. Or Nicole Kidman in Cold Mountain. Who, anybody but Jude Law. Well, I think Jude Law had a fairly good understanding of what was what was needed in Cold Mountain. I don't Which think either of those this two... This movie's bad. <laughs> I don't think Renee is that, is, that Anthony, is that Anthony Mangella? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think either... I'm uh, sad he died, because I think he had... I he, think, was, he was a good director. I think he, like, in ten years was going to become really great. The Talented Mr. Ripley was almost on my list. Right I, like, I like English Patient. For how, as boring as English Patient is, it's good. If that makes any sense whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, but no, this movie is just—it's fun. It's—it's it's light. It's super light for this mob movie. Like so many people die, and you know, all these mob movies. Like anytime a person is like killed in a mob movie, even you know, it carries this like sort of like, oh, this is hard and dark. But in this movie, it's like 
it's played off afterwards as a joke. Like when DiCaprio Costigan's there for the murder of that one guy with, mm-hmm. with Winstone's character. Um, and it's just talking about the value, and it kind of plays into like a comedy sketch between him and Vera Farmiga. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just give me the volume. I just want volume, you know. And like the back and forth there, it, like everything kind of plays in almost as a comedy. And it just, it's a, br- it's almost like a bro movie for me, you know, in yeah, the sense I mean, of like it, it, it's a movie you watch over a few beers and really have a good time with. Yeah, and it's only when you want to like look at it very critically that you're just like well this doesn't work and this doesn't work and this doesn't work but if you're just but watching it, it like from it's, a... it's one of those movies that's still so like everyone's everyone else like besides Nicholson is doing really good work and Nicholson in certain parts is still Nicholson so he's still solid um, when he's not just fucking losing his mind right yeah, yeah, yeah. and Scorsese's still Scorsese and you know Schumacher's still Schumacher um, you know and so when you look at it, you're still like, this is a well-put-together film, and you're having fun with it, so it doesn't, like... It, it does not feel like 151 minutes. It's, no, it, and I think it one zooms of the, by. And, like, again, I think one of the things... It's the thing I most appreciate, and it's also the thing that I think that keeps this movie on the rails, is that DiCaprio and Damon are in it, and they seem like they're in it, and they are... Yeah, but... They're really... Their performances are really... I mean, I know, uh, like, Mark Wahlberg got... You know, nominated for an Oscar, like for a supporting actor Oscar for this. DiCaprio and Damon are doing some of the best work that they've ever done in their whole yeah, life. And I would, I, I mean, I, I think DiCaprio should have been nominated for this over Diamond, personally. Uh-huh. Like, I think he's so too. really good in Blood Diamond. But this is better. But, like, just, you know, when, when that, that, that entire elevator, rooftop elevator sequence just fucking reduces everything. You know, you let, you let this kind of like pulp movie sit on an hour at a boil. You remove all the juice of it. You get you get that grime at the bottom, and that's that scene. You know, just that entire like back and forth. You know, these two guys have been acting their asses off, and fucking you know Sullivan just going, just shoot me, man, just fucking shoot me. You know, well, like, like that's like so, that's like the moment you're like, fuck. You know, the, like this is how you're like, this is a really good movie. And the punches he throws at Sullivan on the roof are not like movie punches. Like they are seem like real fucking punches. I mean, I mean, there probably are. DiCaprio fucking like DiCaprio seems he seems insane. ruined in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one of the things I, I don't love, I don't love the script of this movie and like the scene like you kind of reference when him and Vera Farmiga are talking when he's because he kind of escalates everything like right out of the bat. Like she says one thing and he's just like, well, you know, blah blah blah. But a lot of the other parts, I thought that was a weird scene where both of them. Just, just escalate into gibberish. In the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I, think, I mean, I think the scene where he and Vera Farmiga have sex is a stupid scene, except for when she's like, "Your vulnerability is really freaking me out." And then you, as the viewer, start thinking about it, and you're like, "Holy fucking shit!" His vulnerability is kind of freaking me out. Yeah. Like how? Like it's one of those things where DiCaprio can kind of sometimes go from like not vulnerable enough. To this type of stuff where he this, seems like he's a broken human. And this is the movie where he plays up really well. Like, he's, what, 32 when he did this? Mm-hmm. So he's, like, at his peak of, like, that boyish good looks. So is Damon, too. Yeah, and um, Damon's, like, 36 at this point. But, but they both seem yeah, they like both those like kind of, like, arrested young, adolescents. Yeah. Um, but then you, like, fucking realize, like, at parts, like, Damon, when cornered, will do anything. And, and DiCaprio, you just fucking... He's, he's on the right side of the ball, but he... Can snap at any moment. He right. can fucking go crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, them and... I know, I say the time. 
them and Winstone, you know, are just doing really great work on this. Uh-huh. Could you imagine a movie with just the three of those guys? That'd be awesome. Just like fucking do Sunshine Sunset Limited with those three guys. Let's do it. I'm ready. I don't know where you get a third character in Sunset Limited. Let's make it up. Which is a movie that's that's a fucking good movie. You ever see Sunset Limited? Mm-mm. It's good. Or McCarthy play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson. No, I never saw it, but I know what it is. Yeah. Um, but no, no, like I said, ultimately this is a, is a pivotal film for me, despite all its flaws, because it is the movie I realized where, you know, fucking, even though something you love isn't going to win, and even though something else is going to get the recognition, don't just shit on it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and look at everything through its own veil. And mm-hmm. sometimes it'll take you a couple of viewings to really get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to watch Detective Pikachu several more times and fucking get it. But um, I'm not going to watch Star is Born seven more times and get it. Yeah, not going to watch it at all. Um, but this I watched a few more times and now I get it. This is, this is you know, this falls in the same veil as movies of its era like Layer Cake or, um, you know, uh, not Snatch, but like uh, Rock and Rock and, rock and Roll. Um, well, I, I, I'm saying like a ten year Snatch is period, good too. a ten year Snatch period. I'm not a like big it. Snatch fan. I'm not either, but I, it's it moves in the same but kind of like, way. And I don't want to necessarily say Fight Club because I'm not a big Fight Club guy, but the, those same movies we watch, they have like a certain amount of attitude and a certain amount of like rallying against something, or mm-hmm. like a like a good afternoon drinking movie with some buds. Mm-hmm. This is what this movie is. I mean, I, I'm perfectly fine with it winning Best Picture. You know, I'm just. I mean, I know I mean, people are just like, well, it shouldn't be for this movie. I honestly don't give a shit. I'm just I'm happy just he won the best director. Yeah, and I'm I'm happy it wasn't for Hugo. You I mean I like Hugo? I'm just but... not. A, I'm not a big Hugo guy either. No, but Hugo, I think. I mean, it's not my Hugo it's not is the a movie, good it's attempt. Not, it's not the movie by him that I. I mean, I really don't like Goodfellas, but it's not Wolf of Wall Street, which I fucking hate. Um. Yeah. Goodfellas. I don't, I don't Goodfellas, hate Wolf of Wall I Street, see, but it's. I understand what you mean. Goodfellas is is clouded by other people's opinions of Goodfellas for me. Like everyone thinks it's the greatest fucking mob movie ever, and that just makes me lose my mind. When like Once Upon a Time in America and other films exist. But Martin Scorsese would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, Martin Scorsese <laughs> yeah. would be like, yeah, no, no, not at all. Like Once Upon a Time in America is. A I love Once Upon a Time in America. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, that's like the mob movie attend all mob movies but um I a, and i think like so other people's opinions are good fellas closet for me wolf of wall street however is an egregiously bad movie well, wolf of wall street's the same wolf of wall street exists in the same kind it of universe as departed though the it departed. tried to be yeah. departed but it's not fun it's mean well and it's not even is it me it's mean yes but it also the departed has no stakes so i can enjoy it Wolf of Wall, Wall Street, Street has, has weird stakes where we're living with the results of the stakes. And I know it's just about, it's supposed to be about him and we're not supposed to care, but I kind of care. Because that I mean? guy's still making a ton of money off of right. this shit. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, Departed's a lot of fun. And you know what? If, you, if you're an up-and-coming person who's getting more and more in the film and you love a movie and you see a movie and you kind of think it's okay, but you really rally against it because you like something else more... Just realize the thing you liked is still yours, uh-huh. and maybe just give the other thing some more. Well, time. especially now when you can just see anything whenever you want. Yeah, like after it comes out digitally, it's there forever. And, and now, especially now that the Oscars just don't matter. Right. Yeah. So you mean make it making your own list is actually preferable, guys, to the Oscars. Nobody remembers that Green Book won Best Picture. I forgot Green Book was a movie. People probably in five years, people remember like, you know, 
BuzzFeed's top movies of the year or the Thrillist's top movies of the year before they'll remember. I don't know what the Thrillist is. But before they remember the Oscars. (laughs) We'll be right back with Tom's number 61 and Brownies. Welcome back. These are good brownies. They are good brownies, yeah. You did a good job. Um, uh, I think Geraldo's did a good Girardelli. They're box, yeah. Geraldo's. They're, uh, they're box brownies, guys. Don't, don't lose your mind. Ladies. He's not making I can, from no, scratch I can, brownies. I can make brownies from scratch. I do have cocoa. I just didn't want do to do a bonus episode. A baking episode? Mm-hmm. A baking bonus episode. And we watch... I am, what movie are we watching while we're baking? Uh, Julie, Julia, mm-hmm. and Chef. Ugh, I don't want to watch a John Favreau movie. Oh well, Julia, Julia, <clears throat> and Parents, the Randy Quaid cannibalism 1989 hit film. Is this just things a Randy Quaid hit film? Okay, Julia, Julia. <laughs> so we're okay with Julia, Julia. Yeah. I guess we have to be, don't we? Well, what's the bad bad movie? It's got Amy Adams. What's a good? Oh, movie? um, that. Simply Irresistible, that Sarah Michelle Gellar movie Which with the magic. Bigger? With the, yeah, I think she bakes and it's magic. Okay, is that the name of it? Simply Irresistible. Wow, no, oh, check it out. While Mario's looking that up, we'll talk about my number sixty-one. It is the nineteen ninety-eight uh, Peter Weir drama comedy. No, we can't talk about Ratatouille again. No, we're not going to talk about Ratatouille again. Um, and there's no baking in. Oh, maybe they make a Wellington. I'm not sure. Uh, the 1998 movie... I don't want to talk about chocolate. <laughs> Let me just get this out. Um, the 1998 Peter Weir-directed film, The Truman Show. Coming to you now from the largest studio ever constructed, it's The Truman Show! Yeah! Good morning! Good morning! Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> what if... No scripts, no cue cards. Morning, Spencer. How's it going? What if you were watched every moment of your life? How many cameras you got there in that town? 5,000. I believe Truman is the first child to have been legally adopted by a corporation. That's correct. Brilliant. What if everyone you knew was pretending? Hi, honey. Look what I got at the checkout. Dishwasher safe. <laughs> That's amazing. We can talk about, we can talk about waiting. Waiting? What is waiting? There's not a lot of baking movies. Did you check the Sarah Michelle Gellar movie? I'm looking. Just Wikipedia Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's there. There's not a lot of movies about cooking. It's because it's not that exciting. Um, motherfucker, we need to make a movie about cooking. That's going to be our intro into... Uh, Pivotal Film Productions. <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar baking is literally the second result. On Google, which is actually probably directed because it realized I was looking at baking stuff. Yeah, they can hear us. Um, All right, so let's talk about The Truman Show. Uh, The Truman Show is on my list. I made a bullet point list. Simply Irresistible, the 1999 film. Best movie year ever. I did it. It's not in the book. It's a a missed opportunity. Um, Just kind of like how you talked about The Departed and how it was a movie that you kind of went back to and back to and back to. Um... The Truman Show is a movie that I can watch. It's like one of the only movies that I can watch, regardless of the mood I'm in, regardless of where I pick it up. 
if like I still had cable if that existed in the world, um, I could just watch it from wherever it is and be happy. Um, despite what you're going to say about it later, I think it's incredibly well made. You know what I mean? Um, it's well conceived. It's it's well put together. I don't think there's a lot of the questions that we're going to raise about it in our discussion. I don't think are a hundred percent due to the quality of the production per se. You know what I mean? Perhaps it's due to like a, a lack of, of, of fully realizing the potential of the movie and then leaving some stuff out. But I think the production's um, great. And for me, it has an all-time great ending. Not so much the, you know, Kristoff trying to rock him off the boat, but the uh, scene directly after that where he sails into the wall and then walks out the door. So just to get us up to speed, um, The Truman Show is about uh, a man named Truman Burbank who has been living his whole life um, under the gaze of 5,000 or so cameras stationed around this town and in his house. Um, And he is the star of a TV show. He was born um, on uh, on TV. he took his first steps on TV. He's done everything on TV. Uh, the whole enterprise has been designed and executed by Kristoff, played by Ed Harris, um, and includes um, kind of like we've come to expect from television. So his best friend, obviously, um, played by uh, Marlon, played by Noah Emmerich, um, you know, is he's been cast. Um, Meryl, uh, played by Laura Linney, his wife, um, was cast. They're actors. They're actresses. Um, the only person who doesn't know that this life that he's living is a TV show is Truman. This is not a secret movie. Everyone knows what the Truman Show is. It's part of the culture. You know what I mean? The ideas of the the Truman Show, the 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 plot of the Truman Show is a is a generally accepted thing in our culture everyone knows what it is um especially now with the advent of reality tv in the last like 10 years becoming maybe even more than 10 years i don't even really know how long it's been um more more than that the truman show tv was starting to become a thing when the truman show came out it's been it's uh, it's an incredibly prophetic movie from a media landscape perspective the fact that we would want to see the ins the daily ins and outs of anyone's life um is evident here in the truman show um, it is, like you said, it was written by Andrew Nichol. Um, you got a cinematography by Peter Bijou and music by Burkhard Dahlwitz and Philip Glass. Um, that was really, it's one of the things that keeps me attached to this movie is the Philip Glass parts. Uh, Burkhard Dahlwitz is a fine composer, but Philip Glass is one of the great composers in the history of the universe and has composed a lot of amazing film music that takes, um, very good movies like the Mishima movie, the Paul Schrader movie, or something like The Hours, and turns them into movies that you actually kind of have to think about. He also composed possibly one of the greatest horror scores of all time in Candyman. The Candyman yeah, score is fucking fantastic. Yeah. It's such a mediocre film, but then that score makes it into a really great movie. Um, oh, and, and Tony Todd. <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic. No, no, Tony Todd's really great in that. Um, the Truman Show is interesting from the perspective that we talked about Robin Williams a couple weeks ago and the fact that sometimes um, a 
actors thing um, and a part just kind of go together really well. This is early Jim Carrey. This is, I think, his first overly dramatic role. It was pre-Man on the Moon. Obviously, it was pre-Eternal Sunshine um, or whatever would come after. Um, so yeah, Cable that, Guy had been like the first kind of four, but, but like dipping guy his is, toe, but still Cable leaning. Guy was dark, but it was just very Jim Carrey. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was doing all the Jim Carrey things. He was making the voices. He was being crazy. Both. Yeah, but this was like the, that first in that trilogy of attempted dramas. And trying did. to go into a different, different And then way. he did The Majestic and people were like, mm, no. You're all done. And then and he did need... Eternal Sunshine Spotless Mind and people were like, mm, okay, you can have this one, but stop now. And then he did number 23 and people were just like, yeah, this is, we're all done. And they're like, we're all done with this. <laughs> um... I think Jim Carrey works really well in this in that he's supposed to be really naive um, and very charismatic and he's supposed to be he has been set up to say these lines to feel the appropriate emotion when it needs to be felt Um, that has an inherent phoniness to it which I think Jim Carrey um, who I don't think was super great at conveying emotions I think in this movie conveys really 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 well um to that end i think laura linney is great in this no movie. laura linney's like overwhelms jim carrey for which me in this movie. i think she should which, which I think is fine, she should because laura linney's fucking laura linney and this is where mario i think i have this is where i think this becomes a pivotal film in the sense that Especially this movie. I've watched this movie a bunch of... I've watched this movie... So this is my number 61. I've watched this movie more probably than some of the movies that are higher up on my list. And because it's... Because on the surface it's very light. Um, it's a you know it's a well-made movie, but it's fun. Um, it, it makes you want to ask questions um, that, uh, you know, much more difficult movies like make you want to ask, especially in the ending. Um... But I think one of the things that keeps you kind of coming back to this movie is things like Meryl, is things like Marlon, and then juxtaposed with Sylvia, played by Natasha McElone, who is just an extra on the movie, but who Truman, or an extra on the show, but who Truman sees and kind of falls in love with. Um they're all playing parts. They are all much more well-informed than Truman is. Inherently, their acting, their skills is going to eclipse what Truman is capable of because Truman is you know, experiencing things in real time, not knowing what's supposed to actually be happening. Um, juxtaposed, I think, with the ending where literally everybody knows what's happening to Truman. Everyone can see it. They're just watching it on their televisions 24 hours a day. Truman's sleeping. Truman's eating. Truman's going to work. And then at the end of the movie, Truman is sailing on his boat and almost drowning when Kristoff tries to kill him. Um, I have always found that there is a, a depth to this movie that is perhaps so submerged underneath the kind of fun popcorn stuff that this movie is capable of delivering, um, that it always makes me kind of reach in for the, what those, what those larger truths are that it's kind of withholding from us. Um, I know you said off camera 
that Mike no not recorded yet. It's a, they're, they're always watching. This is a Truman Show. This is a Tom and Mario show. Um, wouldn't that be awesome? Would that be weird if we were both like Trumans? People would be disappointed because we are not as fun as Jim Carrey and as as Truman Burbank. Before I fall, I play kickball. Oh, okay. There you go. I watch a lot of Frasier, so balance that out. Um, I watch a lot of Earth stuff that you can't watch on Truman Show. <laughs> he probably watched it. No, maybe he didn't. That's the whole point. Um, Danny Daniels did not have a starring role in Truman Show. <laughs> you do not like this movie? Star. Um, it's a weird relationship I have with this film, much like I have with Peter Weir films in general. Which I like. I like Peter Weir. I think Peter Weir is a really solid filmmaker in conveying a degree of emotion and to get, in conveying a degree of the story that's written out for the film, if that makes sense. Um, in the sense of he tells the story really well. He has a really solid vision. He does what he's doing. Um, I don't want to necessarily say it's, it's, it's not... I said earlier it's flaccid, but that's not right. But what he does is he... leaves a lot of split ends to me. He is he is a he's a bad hair curler, as it were. In that his movies always leave open a lot of questions about everything else. All the the other nature of it. Especially the, this and Master and Commander for me, especially. Um and Master and Commander is not a movie I, I haven't seen in a while, but there's a lot of stuff going on a master commander about the nature of like supremacy and masculinity. Um, the nature of just like so man I, alone. And, and this movie is asking a lot of questions about whether it be about the metaphysical level or a psychoanalytical level or a Christian level. I mean, the fact that this movie has been compared to, you know, Christoph has been compared to like the Antichrist. The Antichrist yeah. And like, or, or you know, screw tape from the screw tape uh, tales. You know, yeah. the, the screw, tape yeah. screw tape layers are. Um, you know, it's had allegorical levels to you know, the Book of Mormon. Um, says a lot, you know, and compare it to like the the influence of reality TV, um, which I don't necessarily think is true. I think a really much shittier movie and Ed TV's more trying to be about reality TV. Than I agree with you. Yeah, Ed TV sucks. Um, well, you agree that's supposed to be about ATV, or that just sucks? Uh, ATV sucks, and mm-hmm. is supposed to be more about like the got, stereotypical reality television. That's got late nineties Jenna Elfman, so it's got one thing going for it. Um, and late nineties Matthew McConaughey, which is not great. <laughs> um, but and late nineties Ron Howard, also not great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but my thing with Peter Weir is. Is he he can tell the story that's written, but then he leaves a lot of questions open without doing any sort of work, not necessarily to guide you in what he's trying to say. Because I don't think he's trying to say anything. I don't think he's trying to point you in something. I think he's just trying. I don't to think ask, he's trying to. He's trying not to ask say anything. Question. He's trying to ask. But questions. I don't think he's. I don't think he's trying to not say anything. But I also agree with you. I'm not sure. I get the impression this is a conversation that I had with my wife also that like I'm not sure he's saying what I think I want him to be saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which doesn't have to do. 
No, but I also don't think so. I mean, my the my ultimate problem with the Truman Show and Master and Commander is that Peter Weir to me is like a, and I guess even to a certain point, like I've I've had conversations with people about Witness, where people reach on Witness even mm-hmm. about like what the nature of Witness is and like relationship of like a relationship between a person in a sheltered environment versus a more worldly person is there something deeper there and like these aren't conversations we should be having about the movies Peter Weir has given us well, Peter Weir is yeah. not giving us these movies and maybe he but it's maybe so, maybe Peter Weir's just I don't get him I'm not gonna say no, I, I think, would never say Truman Show is a bad movie I wouldn't right. say Master and Commander is a bad movie I'm just saying maybe Peter Weir's on this weird fucking wavelength I don't get well, here's what I would say. I would say that the execution of these movies almost seems to demand further investigation. Do you know what I mean? Like the Truman Show is so well made that it makes by the end of the in the end the last scene where Kristoff is talking to Truman, you know, against the you know the sky there and the shadowed steps leading out to the door, which is just blackness and stuff, demands additional thought. It just demands it. Like. W- this has to represent something larger than Truman simply walking out of his television show saying his catchphrase. It just, it, the production up to that point demands that it does. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think the reason I keep coming back to this movie and the reason it's on my list is that I keep trying to figure it out. I mean, it's really interesting that we're having this conversation right now in the sense that I'm reading probably for the 30th time, 30th plus time. Where the sidewalk ends? No, not worth it. I actually don't like Shel Silvers. I've never Neither found him life. funny or interesting. Um, Paul Oster's The New York Trilogy, which is my favorite book um, of all time. Um, and even though I've heard him say, and even though the text suggests that there's these three novellas, novels slash novellas, link up only thematically and not narratively, I in my mind, keep thinking like, you know what, if I read it one more time, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to tie it all together. So the most recent time, and I'm wondering if this is if this is because of like the moment that we are in as a culture. I'm perceiving this movie to be... A giant dumpster fire of life. <laughs> well, now is a giant dumpster fire of life, yeah. No, no it's actually bad about culture right now. Is I'm starting to feel optimistic, which means like I'm Don't, scared. stop it. Stop yeah. feeling optimistic, because then you're going to make me feel optimistic, and then we're going to be crushed in 19 or yeah i'm not just talking about american culture i'm just talking like people in general i'm yeah. starting to feel optimistic about people well here's i mean maybe we can link that up to here so i mean the way i have perceived this now is i'm trying to think of all of these things as a whole this last scene as a whole so you have all these you have christoph talking to him and he's saying like the world out there is the bad world the world you're in is the good world so what's the nature of the world he's in the nature of the world he's in is a kind of um, simulacrum of 1950s America. You know what I mean? We got it's like, very, like the figure. Donna Reed show, um, you know, Lassie, without, you know, the bucolic aspects of it. Um, you know, and the Andy Griffith show. Well, I'm going to say, say a movie that I think is actually pretty solid. Two movies I think are pretty solid that are, play into a similar idea with this. Uh-huh. And you're automatically gonna shut me down on this um i'm pretty sure then i definitely can't wait to hear there um the first movie this is motorcycle driving by the house blast from the past yeah but that's a little lighter and has no thematic no it doesn't have any thematic but yeah. but but it works well in, in grouping with this was the other one pleasantville 
which is from the same year. Yeah, and I agree with you with Pleasantville. I think Pleasantville does kind of the same thing, but it does it less subversively. No, yeah. So Pleasantville's, Pleasantville's more on the nose with what it's trying to right. say. This, I think... Pleasantville's a really good movie, though. Pleasantville is a good movie. Um, this, I think, is more interesting in the sense that... Like, I would agree. I, li- I like Pleasantville more because it's I more think, on the nose, maybe. So here's what I think. You take all those things... I like how our brownies are just a mound of chocolate we're just eating them as it is a mound of chocolate just That's sticking fine. our fists in them like jack nicholson into his bowl of cocaine and we're throwing them at your futon to be fair guys if you ever hang out with me or tom in person you will not get bowls of cocaine you will get bowls you will of get brownies brownies or buffalo chicken nachos and some double ipas to wash yeah. it down with um I perceive these things to be... So, like I said, you have a 1950s... We don't do drugs, guys. We're sorry. A 1950s, like, um, representation in the Truman Show, like the television show. You know what I mean? Um, tied to that, though, you have... Great. Tied to that, though, you have all these people that are that are watching it that are in the modern world. You know what I mean? They have their television sets. They're at bars that show this thing. They're you know, showing pictures of Times Square where there's like the ticker tape and there's all these advertisements and there's all these people in modern life outside of the world of the Truman Show. They're in a fucking dome that's mad, that you can see from space that has 5,000 cameras in it and they can do all this stuff and they're communicating with headsets. It's not a lot of cameras. It's not a lot of cameras and I think that's a problem with the movie. Um, but it sounds like a lot. I don't think it's a problem, but it just sounds like... They are, they've hired... In 1998, that sounded like a shit ton of cameras. Right. They've hired Philip Glass to sit and play keyboards in the middle of the night while like really dramatic things happen on the television show. Um, it is a 1950s... It's our, our, Christoph is suggesting that the 1950s is the appropriate era for people to be growing up in for people to be living in. The attitudes and the nature of the culture in the 1950s America was the ideal place to live. I think now, literally today, that, and like stemming from like a a week ago when I watched this again for like the 12th time, but you know, today specifically, that if this movie is commenting on anything, it's commenting on the way that we've established in America, because there's very he's very specific to say this is taking place in America. This is taking place in California. The people that are watching this are very specifically like American people. They're consumerists. Um, it's saying something about the idea that of how we create an image of ourselves as Americans. You know what I mean? We're kind of st- stuck in this 1950s mentality of like, this is good. Let's all wish we were in this all the time. And we're fucking going through this shit right now in 2019. I think the interesting thing about this movie, though, is when Truman walks through that door, even though all of these people have established that the Truman Show is kind of like the crux of their existence, you know what I mean? Those old ladies have all those Truman pillows and all that Truman paraphernalia. There's a Truman bar. Those security guys haven't moved in so many hours or just watching the Truman Show. That guy is soaking in the tub and falling asleep when Truman falls asleep and never gets out of the tub. Um, Truman is the fulcrum that their life you know, exists on top of, but when he leaves, essentially ending their life, they're all very happy. And it suggests an idea that, like, we have been set up to feel this way about about our life. We've been set up by the culture to pine for a day that can't exist anymore. And when that goes away, 
people are able to recognize that they can get they don't have to feel that way anymore they're free to feel whatever way they want to feel granted those security guys at the end of the movie the last scene say like they just go back to like what's on what else is on tv let's like reestablish our lives but that i think adds further complication to it you know what i mean now my wife disagrees with me she doesn't think that anything any of this stuff is there she thinks it's there but that's she has a much more cynical view of it you know what i mean that even through all this stuff we're just like adherent to the beast that is like the mass media um and we will do whatever it tells us to do you know guided by that last scene when did she become so but i don't know if i agree with that who me no, when did she become so pessimistic? Oh, just about... She used to be the most pessimistic one in this relationship. No, now she's... I think just because of the nature of what's happening in the culture, yeah. she's very pessimistic about it. But that's the thing, and I don't know if that's... Doesn't a that me uncomfortable? I don't know if that's 100% right, but I've thought about this movie a lot based on the, the gravity and the excellence of the ending, and I feel like that's where I am now. But I think one of the reasons, another reason that this movie is a pivotal film is that I'm pretty sure if I watch it again in two years, I may have a different opinion of it. And like a, a, a well-reasoned, like, provable opinion of it. You know what I mean? Here's what I see this movie as. And this is my... I mean, this is, this is why I will hesitate before I say I hate this movie. <laughs> but I, I won't... There are movies I will always say I hate. But there are movies I will also not say are bad movies. I'm not going to say this movie is a bad movie. There are movies there that I consider to be Disney prints. In the sense of um, prince, not prince. I, I sound like I said princes. This is a real charming to me. Um, but it is a film in which it presents a narrative, and the background upon which you put it is dependent upon the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is that sort of movie. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, a lot of the early Disney movies, those layered animations were on top of a very static background. Yeah. You create that background. You create that foundation. You create that spine. I am not a fan. And that's a perfectly, absolutely justifiable way of making a film, of making any sort of art, of of presenting a tale, but presenting a tale that is attached to so many threads of possible interpretation that whatever you see it has... Um, is what it is for you. Um, and that's a perfectly acceptable way of creating a production, creating art. But that ultimately depends on the viewer. Mm-hmm. And my problem with this is that is not something I like. I, I don't like that. Um, for me, this strikes me as a really individualistic sort of a tale. It Which is, is weird because it's my mic's on. Which is weird because it presents itself as so not an individualistic sort of tale. You know what I but mean? But it is a rallying against... So when I, when I saw this movie, as I was 13 when I saw this, uh-huh. I saw it was like super anti-theistic. And I don't think it is, rewatching it. No, it's not. No. It's, it's like... It's like reach. Probably, probably, yeah. Yeah. No, but, but like you could see like that Kristoff representing sort of like a god figure of you live upon your own world you live in my rules you divide by this and this will make you happy ignore everything outside of it because there, that is the human influence yeah, it's funny there probably is some of that on but there you, but no, it's I'm not saying, like from a christian perspective or an anti-christian no 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 no. i said anti-theistic i, meant, sure, okay, I didn't yeah. mean anti-christian i meant anti 
like supreme sure you know diviner sort of yeah we meet, let's make sure we hold on to the integrity of the supreme diviner for as long as humanly possible <laughs> but you know what i'm saying yes like, i do when understand I was, when, what I was young, saying, yeah. when i was younger I, I thought that and more now i see it as a movie of rallying against the comfort of the world mm-hmm. rallying against the comfort of um like i took from it as it is a 1950s allegory but the 1950s allegory stood by you know patriotism and live the American way by the American divine standards Uh and look at the world how we see it and you marry who you're supposed to marry even though you want something else or even though you want to have some sort of sexual independence which this movie is really 100% has an undercurrent of is like fuck who you want to fuck yeah I mean to an extent yes I don't know if I would define it with those exact words but no I think 100% this is (laughs) Truman's driving motivation is his dick well, I wouldn't suggest the driving action of this film. No, is, but that's, I don't think. That, well, so that's the thing. So we're the driving action of the film is Sylvia, but the driving action of Truman in regards to Sylvia is the things that Sylvia represents. Sylvia seems to represent um, a break from everything that he's understood the as fact his that life he wants to this to point. Put his dick in Sylvia. Well, and that's not, a very like you know. It's guttural, but it's a na- it's a naturalistic sort of humanist perspective. I don't disagree with you. I just I, it's again. And I'm saying like in the, this is like an individualistic humanist film yeah. for me, in the sense of you know you do what you want to do outside the scope of what society and the world tells you what to mm-hmm. do. Christoph says there's no more truth out there for it, for you. Me, you know, Truman ultimately says like fuck you, you know, whatever. I will figure that out for myself. I'll figure it out yeah, for yeah. myself. You know, I'm going to make those flaws, but I'm going to do it for me. Christoph says you marry Meryl, and you know sleep with Meryl and try to have a kid with Meryl and Truman says I want to try to have a kid with this lady or like I just want to uh, like have fun with this lady and see where that goes or I just want to do my own thing I want to make I my own mistakes I want to talk to this person and not I wanna, this person yeah I want to have my screw ups on my own screw ups literally, who literally fell on him yeah. who just dropped out of the sky and was just like oh I'm I'm Meryl I'm the person now yeah um which has this, like, pre-range sort of, like, 1950s idea of, like, your mm-hmm. parents tell you, hey, this girl that is friends of the family, you know, somebody you should talk to. Um, so it has that really individualistic, anti, kind of, like, counterculture, slightly counterculture sure. perspective yeah. to it. But that's my problem. My problem is, is, like, that's what I take from it. Well, and I would argue... And you took from it something else. Yes, and I would... and, and it's, like, I just... I, I appreciate what it's doing, and I think it does it really well. Mm-hmm. And this is the scope of where, you know, nobody should ever say, like, this, like, you know, Roy Lichtenstein's a terrible artist because he's doing comic strip <laughs> adaptations, and that's not fucking art. Uh-huh. You're wrong. That's art. That's art you just don't like. Well, we just, yeah, we just, or, like, yeah. I hate Pablo Picasso. I don't think Pablo... I think Pablo Picasso's or disgusting and gross to and, go like, to the point, just boring. And to go to but the, somebody likes him because it's doing something and to go to something, Peter Weir is from. Yeah, to go to something more recent. I mean, we both... We didn't have this conversation, but we both disagreed on the Matthew Barney exhibit at the Yale Art Gallery. Like, you did not like those plates. No. Yeah. And I think those plates are fucking great. But again, I think that's part of the... I think that's part of the... One of the really interesting things about art art as like an archetype but then i think it's one of the difficult things about film in the sense that he's left so many open-ended questions here that they can literally be anything you want it to be you can and you would probably you could be right in thinking that i mean mormons use this as like an ex-mormon movie well and even thinking of it as an anti-theist movie 
that just the name, the basic name Kristoff, the fact that he lives in the sky, the fact that his voice is deep and echoey and he's talking directly to Truman and saying he knows more about the truth of the world than Truman does is so, like, you know, representative of a god. Yeah, it's a representative that, like, of a god. You almost or... have to think of it that way. But you but can you also, also think say... of it a different way. But if, if you completely are devoid of, like, an opinion of a god or whatnot, you can see it as, like... A big brother sort of government sort of way of like the the constant echoing sounds you hear perpetrated throughout media if you mm-hmm. wanted to hear that way. Or of you can like, think of it as like the Hollywood, these clothes. you know, the Hollywood gatekeeper type things where like Truman's trying to walk through this door and Kristoff is saying you can't walk through the door. You know what I mean? And that would be that works too because Kristoff has apparently only one name like a lot of other Hollywood yeah, douchebags in you, the nineties. If you want to look at it as uh, you know, an a Godard trying to continue to make movies and not being able to fund his movies are Kurosawa trying to make movies after he can't get funded and saying, fuck you, I'm still going to make these movies. You can look at it that way too. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're going to fail if you do this and you're safe here and nothing out there is going to be better for you. Well, I'm going to still try to do it just because I yeah, want to do it. You can. Yeah. And I don't respond to that. I don't respond to things where you can put a thousand different answers on And it. very obviously I have responded to the idea that like, 20 years later, I'm still like, every time I see it, I'm just like, okay, what is going on here? But this is good. What like, are we doing? Because like earlier on in the conversation, before when, <laughs> when Tom came over here at 7 o'clock, I was like, I fucking hate this movie. And you responded in a way that was pretty visceral of like, why? Well, why I just want to know why. I always want to know yeah. why. And because like, you always, your first instinct is always to say, I hate this movie. And then when I push you a little bit, you're like, I hate I this movie still... for all these really intelligent reasons. Yeah, And I still hate it. It's just like... Yeah, exactly. It's just like I'm never going to say – me and you are never – you and I are never going to say anything's bad for reasons that are just like, oh, this is bad because I don't agree with it or this is bad because like it just doesn't speak to me. Like we're going to say stuff is bad because it's not doing anything. Right. Or what it's doing is extremely on the nose or – does not well, we, at all I mean, attempt to try to do. We it. had this like, conversation with the accidental Taurus. We've had this conversation with like a, 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 you know a few movies on a few movies on my list, a few movies on your list. We're like, this movie's no good. Like it represents a certain specific thing in your biography, in your film biography. Yeah, accidental Taurus and Usual Suspect can't the be best denied examples. from a biography standpoint, but they stink. They're mm-hmm. just shitty movies. Um, this isn't a shitty movie. It just puts you in the perspective of, like you have to figure it out. I'm going to give you a bunch of vague work to do over the next however long you feel like thinking about this movie. And you're either going to want to think about it or you're not. But I think one of the things I like about this movie is that if you didn't want to think about it, you could just kind of enjoy the like no, the yeah, dramatic it's, it's ride fun. that you go on. It is fun. Just Peter Weir's – I mean, uh, you know, we're going to – It's uh, fun. Everyone's doing a good job. Noah Emmerich is always great. Yeah. It? It, it's, um, it's, Natasha Mc. There was a there was a period in the mid '90s where they thought Natasha McAllen was going to be a thing, be, yeah. and she just is, is not a thing. But I think it's it's, in, it's an interesting movie. Sorry, I mean Natasha. one of the things that I really like about it is that it kind of kicks off right away. Like they don't make you wait for like the payoff of like this world. Start, and it's not pretentious. Like, I do appreciate for as much of a not I want to say layered, but as much of a ethereal. Ephraim-ish mm-hmm. kind of film it is in terms of its subtext. It's not doesn't have a lot of pretense to it. Mm-mm. It's really like in your face with like trying to stop Truman. You know, it's mm-hmm. really in your face with like. Well, it's really consistent in its tone. It's really consistent in its presentation of its messages. Um, 
So you don't get that sense that it's trying to trick you. But at the end, you do feel like you have more questions than the movie was willing to answer for you. Even though you don't feel like it's manipulated you at all. Like, I never feel manipulated by it. I just want to know. Although, to be fair, I do have some problems in terms of the narrative. Which is? I do think a Kristoff, even if he had constructed a story where he was going to fall in love with Meryl, mm-hmm. if Truman had fallen in love with Sylvia, has a wrestling fan. Or just Motherfuckers as... like that who are in the carny business, which mm-hmm. like Truman Show would be a carny show. Well, so in... For example, Becky Lynch, who won the main event of WrestleMania this past year, only did so because of fan support. Okay. A Kristoff would have definitely written the story have, so that so, Sylvia was the one he marries. There's an argument to be made that he would have... It's, would be, We're arguing real... I mean, I'm just... I'm having no, no, fun now arguing the realism be, of, of the story. It would be good television for him to let that happen. But he obviously perceives there to be a moralistic calling to what he's doing. So he's not going to let him cheat on his girlfriend with this interlopper. You know what I mean? He's just not going to do it. From a moral standpoint. Interlopper? Yeah, because she's just kind of... Interloper? Is that how you say that? Interloper. Inter... doesn't matter. It's the same. Is that that a tomato-tomato word? Sure, why not? Okay. I didn't know. I I don't know. Interloper. There you go. It's like Italian. Inter-Cindy-Lopper. Inter-Cindy-Lopper. You know, he's not going to let that happen. She's not a cast member. He didn't develop a story for her. There's a moral... uh, Meryl is a morally better choice than Sylvia is. You know what I mean? And just like a... She just is. She looks the part. She's like the all-American girl. She's Laura Sylvia's Linney. Vaguely, she's Laura Linney she's in Laura 1998. Linney. Right. Um, that's not the man in me speaking. It is. But there, again, that's another thing that we can kind of you can kind of argue. Like, what's the the arc of the story that Christoph has created? What is it? What is he responding to? Is he responding to this kind of? Um, American ideal that he has perceived doesn't exist in the real world and wants to develop in this world, or is he making good television? That's true. I have a question to end on this conversation. There's been... Truman Show reminds... My reaction to Truman Show, compared to your love of it, Uh reminds me of an earlier film we talked about on my list Mm -hmm. that you had a similar negative reaction to. Mm -hmm. However, you said that movie was... uh, definitively bad movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I had a similar reaction of, you know, the presentation of narrative was interesting. Uh, as me as a big fan of, me as a big, uh, not a fan, but a big challenger of a narrative when it doesn't need to be there or uh-huh. narration when it doesn't need to be there. Um, but when it works, it works. And okay. the story of itself worked. That movie being Little Children. Uh-huh. Noah Emmerich is the connection there. But I think he stinks in Little Children. He's good at this movie. But is Noah Emmerich some sort of wizard? Yeah, he could be a wizard. Are we saying he... I mean, do we have evidence that he's not a wizard? I don't have any of it. I think he probably is a wizard. I am willing to stake the... I actually, I mean, I'm willing to stake the, the reputation of this podcast here's a, here's a that thing. Noah Emmerich is, is, a is some sort of wizard. I mean, the, to compare these two movies... Noah Emmerich, you're <laughs> fully invited on this podcast. The writing on this movie is just way better than the writing in Little Children. That'd be the pinnacle of this podcast, by the way. If, if Noah Emmerich Noah could Emmerich be like on it. Are you... And then we just say, are you a wizard? And he's just like, <laughs> he's just like no. Oh, no. And then we're like, thanks, Noah Emmerich. Do you want some brownies? <laughs> he's like, I'm in California, guys. He's like, yeah, well, then goodbye. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want us to mail you some Click. brownies? Um, if you are Noah Emmerich... <laughs> what, what happens if we ask him, are you a wizard? And he's like... Oh, so we're here. He's, he got me. He got me. Pull, pull out. 
I don't think you ever asked. Pull out! Pull out! <laughs> then one of us mysteriously dies from Septum Separa. Oh, yeah. Can he transmit that over the phone? I don't know. Fucking we'll have to go to Potter. We're muggles, man. We don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, we are muggles. We're Americans, though, so wizard stuff doesn't work on us. That's true. No, there's American wizards. They go to a school in Massachusetts. No, no. Uh, <laughs> 19-year-old me doesn't believe... 19-year-old me has a very solid philosophy that the wizarding world of Harry Potter only relates to English people. And that Americans are not at all influenced by it. We don't need this shit. Yeah. So in other words, if like if like we have Chevy Vol- trucks, if Voldemort came up to us and said Avada Kedavra, we'd just be like, "What the hell are you doing? Why did you do that? Why are you trying to? What are you doing, guy from Schindler's List? Is that a glow stick or what is what is it? Why is, is that a yeah. what is wrong tree? with your nose? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to your face? <laughs> Why do you look like Rand Paul? <laughs> If you're a Rand Paul supporter, you can go back to 2011 and wait seven years to become a grown-up and then tweet us at twitter.com slash filmpivotal. Or you can send us a message at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com and tell us why you love Rand Paul so much. Uh, Or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. Also, you should also go back to 2011, (laughs) wait eight years to become a grown-up, and then send us the message at Gmail. Yeah. Um, or you go to pivotalfilm.com and subscribe to our guys, podcast. In 2011, those opinions were justified. Nowadays, they just make you look like an asshole. People really liked Rand Paul for a little yeah. bit. In 2011, if somebody said I'm a Rand Paul guy, I'd be like, I'll have a conversation with you. Now if they say I'm a Rand Paul guy, I'm people, like, people now if they say I'm a Rand Paul guy, I literally Paul. want to put them in an, like an fMRI. Like, I just want to get a CAT scan of them. Ron, I'm gonna, to be honest though, Rand Paul would probably also be interested in finding other results of that cat skin. Because I'm not 100% sure he knows what he's doing anymore either. Um, <laughs> he just yeah. keeps waking up in Lindsey Graham's like foyer and being like, what am oh, I doing here? Damn it. It's happened again. Rand Paul's life is just a groundhog day. Every day he wakes up and he tries to fix it and he can't. <laughs> um... He yeah. just keeps ignoring subpoena requests. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> People are like, he thinks he lives in Groundhog Day. He's, it's not. No, it's Time just, keeps going. This is just life. He's convinced that it is. Um, I feel like that a lot too, Rand Paul supporters. Um, yeah, go to pivotalfilm.com. Look at the movies uh, that Wouldn't that be great if our, viewer, our listenership like, dropped to two? Like, every one of our listeners is just Little a big Rand Paul guy. Most of our listeners lived in Kentucky. We just had no idea. Oh man, he is from Kentucky. Yeah, I keep forgetting that. I'll Kentucky, get that. your shit together. I think uh, you guys have nothing to offer us but bourbon. And I don't even drink bourbon. If you're from Kentucky and you listen to this podcast, you already know Kentucky has nothing to offer us. But you, you listener, who's most definitely a liberal and bourbon. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> go uh, see a movie, drink some bourbon, and watch some movies.